Hello and welcome to the Green Machine Podcast, your Irish football news and nostalgia. I'm Nick, your host for today, and on today's show, we are delighted to be joined by former Shamrock Rovers, Dunfermline, Aberdeen, Oldham, Inverness, St. Johnson, Darlington, Hungerford Town, Egumtown, Horsham, and Ireland B International, Richie Byrne. I'm also joined by Martin. Who did you play for, Martin? Oh, Hendon. There you go. Put me down as Hendon. Right. Okay. I didn't really. I'll say that. Richie, did I, did I miss anyone there? I think you got them all in there. Oh. Uh, you just you didn't get you didn't get Stella Maris and Belvedere before. Stella Mar- yeah, well, I suppose we have to give them a nod. Hopefully, John Giles isn't listening. He wouldn't be yeah. too impressed with that. <laughs> now, Richie retired in 2015. Am I right in saying that? Uh, well, I retired from professional football in about 2010, and okay. I was out for two years, and then I got back in playing a bit of part time because. Uh, a scout actually that one of the kids I was coaching asked me to get down and train with his team and they ended up they ended up dragging me back in, you know. So I ended up playing a couple of seasons. You just you just had the love. You just had the love. And you, you've done quite a bit in between. I mean you 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 wait for B license. Um you're a personal trainer. You're in you're in the gym at the moment, which is commitment to the cause, isn't it? And you're also a strength and conditioning coach. And recently you were appointed uh, to um will, will we mention it, Martin? Yeah, go on. You have my go permission. On. Yeah. Okay. Um, Richie's working for Arsenal. He's working for the <laughs> Arsenal women, um, as as an SNC coach. So congratulations on that, Richie. We we have been tracking you a little bit on social media, and um, yeah, you, you know your stuff, and you've been rewarded with that. So congratulations on the new role. How are you finding so far? It's great. You know, I I really like it. Uh, the girls are great crack, and there's there's a big change in terms of female football over the last couple of years and Arsenal are at the forefront of that uh, yes. there's a, a guy from Tipperary called Paddy Roach and I only met him there the other day and what a guy so he is excellent I have to say yeah. and he's revolutionising training from the young athlete all the way through to the elite performer that plays in the first team he's done it with the young guys and now he's moving into the the ladies and the women's football he's uh oh he's a great guy very knowledgeable and a yeah. great attitude you know so it's a it's a pleasure to work under someone like that because you know they're always trying to do their best for the player and that's my that's my sort of belief you know no matter what the club says or whoever says you got to do your best for the player um and it's a fantastic opportunity to be in working with this club at the moment you know so I'm really happy with it are you an Arsenal fan Richie I am not um I'm a Man United supporter and if me granda if me granda see me wearing this Arsenal kit uh I think he'd probably tackle me like a Roy Keane Alfie Alfie Inga Haaland tackle you know so uh you took the soup Richie you took the soup but look we we won't hold it against you well what do you reckon Martin Maybe, no, little, maybe little, maybe little. Jerry Flannery was with Arsenal, wasn't he? As S&C. Um, there's been a lot of Irish guys there yeah. over the last few years. So, uh, there, you know, it seems to be a thing that we get a lot of Irish guys coming off from the rugby side and then coming into the football side of it. Yeah. Uh, there's a huge gap in the market in terms of football's recognition. Um, and with the appointment of Des Ryan from the Irish rugby, they brought it across and he's done very well. And I only heard the other day, there was a, the Irish rugby system has literally, they've devised the pathway going yeah. from youth rugby all the way through to the first team. This is what you have to do at each stage. And funny enough, who they got in was a guy who revolutionized football training in Canada, a fellow called Ishmael Bali. 
And the FA actually used his teachings to do their A license, B license, and right. all the ones below. He actually came in and worked with the Irish GAA and the Irish rugby. And that's how Ireland are so good at the moment. Yes. Because yeah. they literally have a system that works like clockwork. And if you bring that over to football, that's what you'll get. You'll churn out better athletes who then have the ability to become better players because they're available to train more often and they're yeah. available to improve. So there was a, a bit of information there that I heard the other day that um, there's not one Premier League player that has had an ACL injury pre their Premier League career. Wow. So it goes to show wow. you, if you get an ACL injury as a young lad, yeah. you're not going to make it. Yeah. Because Isn't the injury is too yeah. severe. Right? Yeah. So... Guys, now you look at you look at Virgil Van Dyke. He's not the same. Yes, yeah. Now yeah. imagine he was eighteen and that happened. His development, he'd be out for two years, so he's losing two years of development. And that's what we're seeing with Arsenal. They're keeping these young, fast, strong guys fit, and they're not breaking down. And that enables them to develop through them years. So that's why they have so many quick players now. Years ago, you didn't have that many quick elite footballers. Why? Because the training systems. Broke them all and damaged them when they were. It was, all, it was all running, wasn't it? It was just doing it's laps, doing laps. Yeah. Think of your warm up when you ever played football. Yeah, yeah. Think of your preseason, constant runs. That's I never, I never turned, is. I never turned up, Richie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must have played for someone else, like Pats or something like that. <laughs> well, very uh, unfit teams. Uh, so, Martin, I know I know you've a lot of interest in the in, in the SSC, and obviously, Martin, you spoke with David Roach uh, last year. But Richie, I think it's it's important to mention your career because you, you've had one of the more obscure careers. And I mean, you're a cult hero at Aberdeen, but Oldham. I mean, I heard that you're the best Irish left back to play for Oldham since Dennis Irwin. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the slowest Irish left back to play for Oldham. Um... I couldn't run by the time I got there. Yeah, no, you. Oh, but look, you, you, you don't, you don't quite well. Here's a, here's one for you. Did you play understand at Darlington? Yeah. Oh, yeah. why? How was that? Do you know what? It, it's mad because the media and other people always have their own take on things and portray yeah, yeah. people in a certain manner, right? Yes. And when you're there with the person, it's a million miles from what you ever thought. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Stan was great, crack, and the player I was. I was very aggressive and, you know, I, I was sort of known for smashing people. And Stan actually got me in because he had a load of guys that they were bottom of the league, a load of yeah. soft players, a load of players complaining about running, didn't want to run, you know. And at Aberdeen, if you didn't run, get out. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so I was used to running, you know. Now, bear in mind, I had half a hamstring, right? I had one of my hamstrings not even connected. Right. <laughs> and I'm doing more running than half of these fellas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I looking at here? And Stan would lose his head. Right. And he pulls yeah. us all. He had about five Irish lads there, four or five Irish lads. He pulls us in. He says, look, lads, I need you to just go around and start smashing these fellas because <laughs> they're too soft. So yeah, we get yeah. me the green light. That was it. I had the green light to, to do whatever I wanted. <laughs> so in training, I was going through people, you know, and he loved it. But Stan yeah, yeah. would join in in the possession box, right? And you sort of forget who he played for. Yeah. Oh, he's he class. class player. When Liverpool were Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Right? He never lost the ball. I'd never seen him lose the ball once in the possession box, right? So then we were practicing corner kicks. 
and the boys are messing and shanking it all over the place and he's he's standing there and you can see him losing his patience and he goes come here and I'll show you how to do it and he went over I swear to God I've never seen Alan like it he whipped this thing and he did about six in a row right yeah, yeah. right onto the attacker's head and everyone's just like holy Jesus that's mad <laughs> you know uh, and you know, he's a great guy, super nice guy, really yeah. friendly. And it, it, I, I was having a lot of off the field problems with me uh, son's mother at the time. And he was just, he was great. He was like, yeah, look, yeah. when you need to go up, you go up, you get the young fella, bring him down. We'll give you a house, stay in the house. I was in the house with three or four of the boys. said, stay there with the lads, bring the young fella down, no problem. Brilliant. He, was, yeah. he was great. He was a diamond guy, you know, and uh, he liked the point as well, you know, so. I heard, like, I heard that, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't say anything wrong about him. And, you know, I remember the time people were slagging him on that gaffer and all this. Yeah. Look, he's a great guy. And half the time, I actually now think some footballers are just too soft. Yes, and they yeah. can't take harshness. Yeah. You know, and they can't take responsibility. And a lot of lads like to shirk responsibility. Oh, it's the manager's fault. Oh, it's the training. Oh, it's this, oh, it's that. You know, look at yourself and do the hard work, you know. Yeah, and a yeah. lot of lads just don't want to work hard, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a good approach. Get get the Irish to kick the shit out of the English lads, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's... I mean, it's no harm. Sorry. It's no harm. <laughs> you know, I, uh, once, once, once he's okay with that, I'd do anyone. So it didn't matter. <laughs> didn't matter where they were from. You know? Oh, brilliant stuff. So, Richie, a little a little bit of trivia for you. And now I, I told Martin this off air. So, um, I, I've been doing a lot of kind of digital journalism since I was about 15, 16 and the first ever article I did, I was on my work experience in Satanta Sports in 2007. And my first ever article, I, I shit you not, Richie, it was a match report on Ireland B versus Scotland B. Who scored? No way. I swear to God, 2007, I was sitting up in Satanta. Um, Scotland B and Ireland B had played. It was actually while I think Stan had just been... Stan had just been sacked, I think. Yeah. And 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 at the time, most of what I had to do was I had to look at the bookies and see who the favourites were for the Ireland job. And right. it was and, and Trabatoni wasn't even on the radar. I think it was like Venables and a few other lads. But one of the days who said, Look, Nick, we, we actually want you to write an article. And um they said, Look, the the Ireland B played the Scotland B. Can you watch the match back and do like I think it was like a hundred and fifty word article? And um you know, I, I think I was tipping you for a senior call-up, Richie. I mean, I was 15 or 16 at the time, but um, yeah, that was my first one. So I always have that that little bit of a gras for you, Richie. That little bit of a gras. <laughs> Tell us what you remember about that one, because that, 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 that must have been a great honour to, to represent your country and to score in, in that one game. Yeah, that's bittersweet. Does it? That's a huge story. Like, I'd need an hour to talk, talk to you about everything around that. There's so many different bits to that story. It's mad. Uh, where do I start? Um, uh, you know, I actually played that game with half a, with a hamstring injury. So I'd had my hamstring injury. I recently found out when I came to London, well, not recently, but a few years ago, uh, a, year, a couple of years after I retired, that the hamstring wasn't even attached. So <laughs> out of your three hamstrings on one each leg, I'd only one, I'd one missing not attached on that other leg and oh. two of them were working and they were overworking uh, and then the other one the other three they start overworking I was all over the shop 
But anyway, I played that game. Uh, I got back and I was working with a trainer. I went back to my trainer in Dublin, a fella called John Connor, who looks after. He was looking after Connor McGregor and all the boys. So I'd go home and see him and then come back, get really strong and all this stuff that was going with that. And then I go back and I play. I was working with a PT in Scotland as well. So I do my training there. So I was doing everything I could to try and get back, not knowing that my hamstring wasn't even attached. Oh. You know, thinking, and the, well. the physio there telling me it was in my head and the doctors not knowing what they were looking at and they didn't get a scan. And I, anyway, I get the call up for it. So I play a few games. I play about 10 games in a row and someone got injured. And it, when I was at Dunfermline, I was I was on standby for the, the first team. So they knew about yeah. me. Yeah. And John O'Shea was ahead of me for left back. So I'd met John on the Irish 21s and I'd, you know, I've been around the guys a few times. And look, I knew I was nowhere near John O'Shea's standard, you know, but I knew I was a great defender, you know, and I was very aggressive and I had a lot of pace and power. And, yeah. you know, when it comes to defending, I tip myself to be as good as any of them, right? But anyway, I got back, played a few games, and someone got injured, and Tony Cousins was working with uh, Pat Dolan, not Pat Dolan, Pat... Uh, Pat Devlin, was it? Pat Devlin. Yeah, yeah. And we were we were only saying Martin and I were like, who was the B coach? And I was like, I think it was Pat Devlin. But yeah. Glad you confirmed it. <laughs> yeah. So Pat Devlin and Cuzo rang me and says, Rich, any chance you're coming? Actually, I'll tell you what, he didn't even ring me. Was that that one? No, it was. It was Pat De- Cuzo rang me and I was like, Cuzo, how are you? He goes, Rich, you need we need you need to come down and play for Ireland. You're on the B squad. Come on, we've had an injury. I couldn't believe it. So anyway, went nice. down. And uh, I was on the bench, and then Glenn Whelan got injured. Yeah, yeah. So Glenn got injured, come off, and he goes, Rich, warm up, you're in left back. I was thinking, what? Glenn's a centre midfielder. Anyway, he pushed, um, what's his name, uh, forward from left back into left midfield. Uh, Wardy, Stephen Ward. Yeah. Stephen Ward? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Stephen Ward. He put Wardy up into uh, left midfield, and I went into left back. And I have to say, I thought I played very well in that game. You know, got uh, your goal, I got the goal. Do yeah. you remember the goal? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember. I remember watching it back because they had the footage or whatever. And was it in Kilmarnock or it was in Scotland anyway? It was in Airdrie's ground. Yeah, so Mark yeah. Yates, that used to play for Tottenham, chopped inside. I actually underlapped him. Yeah. He took a shot. Yates, he had a mad shot. He took a shot from about forty yards. He hit the crossbar and came back out. <laughs> and I just continued me run. I don't know why I was running in there, but I just yeah. kept running into space. And it came out, and I needed a cross on the volley to me right, me right side. And I hit a right foot volley. Probably the only place you could have got it in, right in the bottom yeah. corner. Uh, and that was the goal. And I didn't know how to celebrate. It was unbelievable. <laughs> but um, I couldn't believe I scored for Ireland. So I anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the gas thing about Ireland is, on the way to the game, right, when you're on the way to the matches, they start playing all the Rebel songs. Right, <laughs> so the whole bus was be bouncing. Not, right? not, any, not anymore. <laughs> not <Yeah>. anymore. <laughs> but one of the coaches, he be he, what he do is I can't remember his name. He puts hands on the bit where the where the bags go, and he started doing somersaults. He be bleeding, flipping around, and he about ninety. He about ninety years old. He doing somersaults, and all the lads would be singing and dancing. But ah, uh, oh, you know what? It was great. And then we got the goal and. You know, I thought to myself, right, if I can stay fit, I yeah. have a chance of being bumped up into the into the fourth team. Because a lot of lads went in. Stephen Hunt was in the fourth team. John Walters was in the fourth team. Glenn Wardy yeah. got in. There was a lot of them got in from There's that a squad. Lot, like, like, I've got the squad here. So, like, Colin Doyle played a couple of games, didn't he? Um, Jim Goodwin. Jim Goodwin got sent in, off in that game. Yeah, he yeah. got sent off, yeah. 
Yeah, and and obviously he's gone in, in, into management. He was with, with Aberdeen recently, wasn't he? Yeah. He was sacked, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alex Bruce, Alex Glenn, Bruce, yes. yeah, Glenn Whelan, you came on as a sub there. John Walters. Yeah. Yeah, John Walters, Stephen Hunt, Roy Donovan. Uh, yeah, Roy, Mark, yeah, Mark, Mark Yates. Do you remember Mark Yates? He was a great little player. He was a Spurs. Oh, wasn't he? Yeah. And Wes Hoolahan. Wes Hoolahan. Yeah, so, well, like, well, a, a, most of those lads went on to get full inter- international cops, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then even, and like, think- the... Yeah, the Scotland team there. Yeah, a few few lads in the Scotland team. Chris Chris Whitaker and a few lads yes. like that. But yeah, a good few went on, didn't they? Yeah, and you know, I thought if I had a stage fit, I think I would have played for Ireland, you know, to be honest. Yeah. Um, And that's what I was saying about development, injury and all that type of stuff. If you're not getting looked after, you know, I feel I was mismanaged. The injury was mismanaged. It wasn't yeah. um, it wasn't diagnosed properly and the management was, wasn't right. And I didn't know anything about it. And there you go that's what happens and that's why I do what I do now so I assess players now individually so I when I'm working in this gym so we have all the Premier League testing equipment for muscle strength and all that type of stuff and movement screening and I do that now for individual players so people come to me uh, young lads come in I do the assessment uh, I give them a program say look you got to do this this and this this is the issue if I don't know I have a top physio that looks after all the all the lads he looks after Rio Ferdinand and Jamie Redknapp and all them and I'll send them to him to be diagnosed you know and then we know what we're dealing with then so you have to go to the best of the best you have to look to you know you really got to know what's going on with these young players because you lose too many players from injury and I feel I'm one of them you know I feel I could have gone on to do very well you know I'm sitting I'm watching games now and I'm looking at some of the defending you know, it'd be pulling me hair out, you know, thinking, no, I, I could have done that, you know. So you, you tend to get a bit bitter, but you have to sort of learn to get over it and um, and not dwell too much on it. Absolutely. Um, is that why you got into S&C and, and personal training, Richie? Because, like, you're speaking very passionately about it. And was were those experiences, you know, playing playing with two out of three hamstrings, which sounds horrendous, by the way. Is, is is that why you kind of is that why you went down that route? Yeah, well, I initially just wanted to fix myself because I was thinking to myself. Uh, actually, I was telling the boys there the other day we had a um, a a young physio uh, student come in and she was she pulled me to the side. She was she was around for about six weeks and she was doing our work experience at the club in Aberdeen and she pulled me to the side. She said, "Rich." The way this is going, this is not how it's supposed to be done. She says, I don't like the sound of that injury. Now, she's only about 18, right? Yeah. I looked at her and I said, what are you talking about? Will you go away, will you? You know, <laughs> these fellas these fellas know what they're doing. Yeah, she goes, yeah. I'm telling you. So I said, right, whatever. And I walked off and I never thought anything of it. And it was, obviously, it didn't get fixed. It was never the same. I was never the same. And, uh, when I thought back about that, I was like, I can't believe it. So initially I started learning, I became a PT trying to fix myself because I still thought I could get back. So I came down to London and I studied PT. I was only, I was 30 at the time and I still thought, I think I could still play now if I had a walking hamstring. Yeah. But I was, I was, I was 30 and I could still do stuff and I thought, you know, if I fix this thing, I'll get back. So I spent a lot of money trying to go to different physios, blah, blah, blah. And I went to this one fella. So I did my PT course and I thought, right, I'm just going to train it and I'm going to get back. I went to this fella, Kevin Lidlow, who looks after everyone. He said, look, that muscle is actually not attached. He said, that pulled off. It's called an avulsion and you have to fix it within a year. If you don't reattach it within a year, the sort of tendons solidify and 
it's like burning plastic, right? You know, the end, the way plastic goes, if you burn yeah. it, it'll never reattach properly. He said, so that's basically what happens. So you're, you're never going to get back. Um, I was like, flipping hell. He said, you just got to manage it now. You just got to do what you can do and manage it and just live through it. So that was sort of hard to take, you know, when you sort of, I, I realized at that point I got very depressed. Now when I think about it, I got very depressed. I was, I was probably depressed for about two years because the person who we are is dead. You know, if yeah. you read the book, Retired, great book about uh, retired footballers and all the stories of things that happen to different footballers when they retire. Um, the person dies, you know, you, who yeah. you are, the footballer. Your identity. Dies. There you go. Yeah. The death of your identity. So I realized I was depressed for a while and I thought, right, I, I, ha I can't sit like this. I need to learn more and I need to now prevent this happening to anyone else. So that's what I started to dedicate myself to. Uh, is dedicating and helping young guys and girls not live that life of I should have, would have, could have, you know, because yeah. that you don't want to be that guy oh, in the pub, you know. Oh, well, I used to play by then, you know, and until like, I had an injury, like Martin, yeah, he used to play, used to play for Hendon, yeah. <laughs> but that, but that's real, you know, that is a real thing. People get injured and they're never yeah. the same, you know. So I think people need to start taking a bit more notice when young people are saying, Look, I'm injured or this and that, and I'm feeling this. And they're plumbing off saying, ah, yeah, you probably weren't that good, you know, because you never know who someone could have been after 10 years of consistent training without injury, you know. Uh, but that's what I do. You know, I look after, you know, all these guys that are trying to be heroes, you know, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to help them get there. Yeah. And what ages are you approaching? Like, would you approach that from them with players? Like, you know, because you, you think of like academies now bringing in kids seven, eight years old, then puberty hits and you have growing pains things like that. So how do you balance that as a strength and conditioning kind of person then to, to analyze a, a, a young athlete basically and guide them? Because you see parents who are obviously pushing and think their kid's going to be the next Ronaldo or whatever. And you see Ronaldo's son is in fantastic condition. If you see him on Instagram, um, how, how do you balance that and the age? I'm very interested to know about that. So it's, it's very funny that parents think more is better, right? So does that age period where kids grow really fast, as you said, right? It's called peak height velocity, right? Now, I literally just had a young lad there. He was, he's been at Arsenal and he's, he's had a lot of injuries because he's been pushing to do as much as he can. And he's he has little niggles. Uh, there's little areas where he's struggling because he's growing. He's growing real fast. And at that age, that peak height velocity age, which for boys is about between... 15, 14 and 15, right? They usually take a big jump. And what you do is you actually decrease the training load, believe it or not, right? So you'll still do their technical stuff. You'll still have them lifting. You'll decrease the load. So you might not go that heavy, but you'll work. So in terms of strength and condition, you'll work on range of movement and coordination and st stability, right? So you'll do a lot of stability work, a lot of proprioception, right? You'll do a little bit of plyometric stuff to keep that power. You don't, you do not do laps and laps and laps <laughs> and laps at 15, 14, 15 with these fellas. They don't need that, right? It's too much for them, right? Now, pre that, so pre, so from six all the way up to toward the end, right? You'll, you'll have them doing a wide variety of stuff. So me mate there, uh, John Connor, he was only over with me for the weekends. So we, he's actually, he was over doing... Uh, George Groves podcast this morning. Um, 
But so I learned most of my stuff off him. He used to teach for a fella called Charles Pollican, who is literally the dawn when it comes to strength training, all levels of athletes, right? He was great. But anyway, um, he actually gave me Ishtavan Bali's book. So that's how I learned all this stuff. So at the start, you train to train. This is Ishtavan Bali's. You train to, you, then you train to, sorry, the first uh, phase is fundamentals, F-U-N, fundamentals. So fundamentals, that's moving. Learn how to move, squat, hip hinge, jump, catch, throw, all that type of stuff. Then you move into train to train. Then you go from train to train to train to compete and then train to win. All right. And that process can be 10 to 12 years. Yeah. Right. And the train to win is actually, Bali has it at about 18, 18, 19. So up until they're about 17, 18, 19, you're not even trying to win. You're just trying to give these kids development training to build their body to be robust. <clears throat> Excuse me. To then, then you start working the mentality of winning at about 17, 18. Now, look, I'm not saying don't compete and don't have competition, but winning isn't everything at the younger ages. You know, you save that crazy winning attitude and the, the mad mentality stuff to later. You know, get them competing with each other and themselves. Yeah, grand. But it's not everything. Development is everything. You know, because you want these guys to play till they're 35, 40. Mm. You know, you don't want them to kill themselves doing all they can and running through walls. And by 22, they're all over shop. Like, you know, there's a couple of players that have been at clubs that by 25, they're starting to get niggles. 26, they're picking up and I don't want to name any names because I'll, I'll get done, but there's <laughs> loads. We all know them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And these fellas are doing too much. They're being overloaded, trying to be the next best thing and trying to do too much of the fitness stuff, not understanding that there's, there's ways of doing it, you know? Yeah, there's probably plenty of time to develop. Like, really, that I think that's the mindset that probably parents have to understand as well, that there is lots of time. Because, you, you like, you, I know you're not naming it, but, like, you think of the likes of Michael Owen when he broke through and then he really had terrible injuries then late on. He was never the same player then afterwards. And he says that himself when he was at Newcastle and even, I think, it was Stoke in the end, wasn't he? He just couldn't do it anymore. Look at James uh, McCarthy. I mean... Yeah. What are you, I mean, you, you might, did you play against James McCarthy up in, up in Scotland, Richie? Because yeah. he, he was only about 14, yeah. 15. Like, is that, is, like, obviously he was very talented and I think he came around the same time as James McCarthy, but it, is that a little bit mad, you know, to, to, to get a guy that age, young lad, child really, playing senior football for their development? Because if you look at him now, like, I mean, he's only, what's James McCarthy? 32, 33. And he's, I mean, he's been crocked for years. Yeah, I what I would have done is I would have dipped him in and out. Yeah. Had him in the force in the whole time. And it's a bit like if you if you look at if you listen to some of the guys that talk about jujitsu, right? You look at the way they talk about training. So the elite of the elite guys, right? There's a fella, what's his bleeding name? Anyway, this fella only eats once a day. He's a mad thing, right? Little skinny fella, doesn't do any weights, just does jujitsu, but he's amazing, right? He's a world champion. He's a world champion in a load of different weights. Anyway, what he does is he, he's a black belt, right? But he doesn't train with other black belts. He trains with two levels below. Yeah. And then he goes and competes against black belts, right? So it, I sort of now sort of bring that into my own football side. I'm like, right, well, a young lad like that, that's good enough to play in the first team. Maybe you're playing for one or two games and say, right, go back into the young lads, the 21s or whatever, and work on this and this and this. Enjoy that for a few weeks and then bring them back in. You know, yeah. play one or two games, back out work on this this and this and you're not overloading them 
mentally and physically. Because look, I don't care what anyone says, forced team men's football is a different story to any other football. You can play as many 21s games as you want, as many reserve games, as many under 18 cup finals and all that. A men's game that's serious, that people are getting paid big money for, is different to anything you'll ever do. Right, so as a 17-year-old, going and playing in that, it's quite a lot to deal with. You know, I didn't do it. I was no, I was 19, I think, when I made me debut. 19 or 20 when I made me debut. So I was older. I was a bit older. And I'd done a lot and I'd gone through it. So it wasn't that big of a thing for me. But I imagine if I had been 17, I wouldn't have been able for it mentally. Now, some people, you know, mentally, they, can, they have the capacity for it. Like Wayne Rooney, you know, because he was just yeah. so good. But he had the body for it. Yeah, so he yeah. had one of them bodies that he could deal with men physically, and he could he could play multiple games. Some people can't do that, and it's emotionally taxing as well, you know. So people forget the emotion that happens in a football game. You know, you're up, you lose, you're back down here, yeah, you win, yeah. you're up, you're back down. Look at the English players after they lost the World Cup final. Every one of them did that. Yeah, it was it was great. You know, or the, not the World Cup, the Euro <laughs> Championship final. You know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but these are the things that happen. And then it takes him a bit of time to come back up. Look at Rashford now. It's taken yeah, him a few yeah. months. But he's now coming back from it. Do you know what I mean? So you have to take all that into account. And these are things that I would think about if I was looking after a young player going into yeah. a first team. What about someone like Evan Ferguson then? Because, I mean, look, he was 14 playing for Bowes. And look, that was a situation, I suppose, where he did dip in and out. Like, I think he, he only played a couple of preseason games and won her. One or two games. I mean, don't don't be too critical of Bowes, Richie. Don't be too critical of Bowes. <laughs> but but where where would you see that? Because I mean, what was he seventeen making his Premier League debut? He he's eighteen now. He's he's had an injury already. I mean, it was it was kind of um, you know it it it, it was kind of inflicted on him, wasn't it? But what would I didn't you see the injury? What is it? What has he got? So um, Fabinho kind of came in, kind of kind of raked his. Raked Achilles. his um Achilles, his, oh. Achilles, yeah. So I think it was more kind of okay. ligament so it was an impact injury. Yeah. Mm. Now he's back now. He was what was it, two weeks, Martin, or something something along yeah. those lines. He was out for two weeks. But again, yeah. a, a guy that young, like what would your view be on him? Look, I my view we usually in football is if you're good enough, play, you know, yeah. but it's hard to say because everyone's different. You just gotta know the person, know the player. And you got to have, we were just talking actually last night, me and my mate were talking about in terms of football, how do you manage training load and how do you manage overtraining in, in athletes, no matter what sport they're doing. So he's looking after the UFC lads and he's he wants to take maybe some stuff from football and maybe bring it across and maybe the other way. Because you know when the UFC lads go through a weight cut. Yeah. So if you go through a weight cut, so you're training all for whatever, 12 weeks. You're going to be here. You go to the weight cut, you drop right down. So your readiness to fight drops right down. You rehydrate and it's it's basically a race who can get back to as close yeah. to 100% before the fight, mm-hmm. right? But you're never going to get to 100%. So how do you measure where a person is, where an athlete is prior to competition? And that's what I think you have to sort of do with football. We have to find ways of measuring these athletes and saying, right, you played three games in six days. You're not ready to play again. You personally. Right. Next one. James Milner. You can play. He can play 10 games in a row with that fella. And he'd be grand. You know. Uh, Daniel Sturridge. You know. But he played three games. Bang, bang, bang. I don't know. Do you know? So you you sort of have to look at it individually. Because it is very individual. Each position is individual. 
And each player has individual genetics and then characteristics. So you have to, there has to be a way of finding how we measure each person specifically for regular games, you know? Yeah. It's very yeah. interesting that like you're saying that, you know, because I, I still think of, like, you're talking about the players and, and their, you know, capabilities and what, what challenges they're giving on their own body and, and the impact of it. Like, you know, I think like someone like Martial at Man United, he can't cope with regular games. But, you know, our our old understanding of strength and conditioning and pre-season training was then to kind of peak for kind of cup games and league games. and But now it's actually tailored around individuals, isn't it? Availability for them and when their body's going to be ready. And that's a massive challenge. I mean, how do you keep all that data as well? You know, I know they have trackers and everything. I don't know how, it must be just management systems, is it? Like, I, I'm lucky. I go to um, near Chesant, near where I live. I see a lot of the, the Tottenham girls, underage girls, they train up there and they all have the trackers on their boots and stuff. I watch a lot of their training sessions and see them play, but I, don't, I just don't understand how the data gets analysed and just must be constant. Yeah, the, 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 there's data analysts that look at all the training loads. Um, the sports scientist does all that. They look at what's going on, where each player is uh, in terms of distances. They have their, um, they have their sprint distance. They'll have their high intensity run and then they'll have their normal running and then they'll have their total distances covered so uh, you know I was looking after a fella that's playing the championship yesterday so he came down I did an assessment with him and then John my mate um, who looks after all the boys he works in the ISI Irish Strength Institute in um, Dublin so there's two or three gyms there so he did an ART assessment on him uh, or treatment on him so we released a fair bit of stuff on him but the young fella was saying Says, yeah, you know, the other day I did, you know, I did six and a half K in the session. So he's coming back from injury. So what's happening is each player is measured in terms of total distance and then the volumes of sprints they're doing. And what they do is they they measure the players. This is another thing where it, it's a little bit funny. They're measuring the players' max speed and they're saying, right, your max speed is say, whatever, you know, 12 miles an hour, right? So your max speed is 12 miles an hour. So if you're in the red, which is 11 miles an hour for you, if you're in that too long, it's probably not good. But they're not realising that a fella that's 12 miles an hour might be an averagely paced, low to average paced fella. There might be a fella that's doing 16 miles an hour. That's his max. Now, if he stays in his 90, that is a massive amount of speed. Yeah. Where the other fella whose max is only 12, he may be able to do them runs for a lot longer because mm. it's not as fast. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. he's less likely to pull a muscle. And that's where you got to start realising the differences. That someone who's slow can run more at their higher intensity paces. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. some absolute speed merchant who could probably only manage four of them runs anymore. He's going to pop something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that so that's it. where it gets very dicey because it's tough. It's tough to... There's no knowing, there's no way of knowing who's going to pull a muscle at what point. So individual, isn't it? It's, it's it's literally so individual. I think it's fascinating as well, the evolution of this. Like my first kind of ever really kind of hearing about like these stats and, and this analysis was like, I think it was kind of made in jest with like Benny McCarthy. Uh, I think it was Blackburn with Sam Allardyce. His sprints yeah. were noted really good, but he used to sprint for corners. When he was taking a corner... Right, he'd sprint over to do that because he he used to fiddle the kind of records so that he, that's what he used to do because he was really lazy. He was known as being lazy, but then they went actually his stats are really good. He used to just sprint for the to go and get the ball to take a corner. 
and he was like fiddling it that way. Wow. <laughs> That was really good. I heard that on a podcast. It's brilliant. Like, it's <laughs> brilliant. So, yeah, it, it is open to kind of a, probably a manipulation a little bit. and But, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. And, and it's amazing young players coming in to that, you know, like certainly, you know, kids coming through to playing for fun, of course, which is the right idea, of course. We've spoken to a lot of coaches and academies and stuff involving the Irish setup as well down at Wexford Youth. Spoke to, spoke to Mark Ross recently. Um how do you deal with working with young people though when you're trying to explain to them their body and the changes they're going through and that they have to really mind themselves and yet you know technically they want to get better they want to be in the mindset of the manager you know you know it used to be kind of perceived as kind of weakness if you had a niggle and an injury and you had to miss a session how are you how are you able to deal with you know getting that mindset to the young players especially that you know you've got to really look after yourselves basically yeah, that's a tough thing. And parents are the ones you have to coach, which sounds a bit mad, but it's the parents that you coach. So I, the parents come in here, uh, if I show just the gym, uh, we've an assessment room and all that. So I, I bring the parents in and I bring them through the first couple of sessions. And I sit down and said, look, this fella or girl, they're being overloaded. This is what's going on with them. This is what they have to do. So this person, this young player has to do these type of exercises regularly and has to ease off this stuff regularly. You know, so this fella, pulling my hair out, this fella today, I had to say to him, look, you're doing too much. How do you think that injury happens? It happens, it's a growth plate injury, which for young guys happens from repetitive strain, repetitive high force strain. You don't do that with me in the gym, you know? So I have to, the training we're doing is trying build that and build the thickness in his tendons, right? So you have to educate the kid, but it's more so the parents. So I've had to say to his man, look, he's doing a bit too much. So I'll text his man and say, look, he's doing a bit much. Bring him, bring the in the uh, the volume down. So take him out of a couple of days because he does like stuff six days a week. You know, the kid is unbelievable. He can, he can, he can pass with both feet. He can dribble. He can slip balls in. He can ping balls. The unfit is unbelievable, right? Mm. But, does if you keep flogging, if you keep flogging him, it doesn't matter how good he's going to be because he won't be able to run. Yeah, you know, so break down there. Yeah, so that's what you have to. You have to. My sort of approach is train the parents, and then the rest will filter down. You know, yeah. give the kids the information, but you train the parents. Yeah, um, definitely. I I find that even with my look, I'm I coach very you know kids level under eleven team, my son's team and stuff, and basically, yeah, the whole interaction is the parents are the ones you've got to be more involved in the communicating with more than the lads they just want to play and have fun yeah it's more you know getting across to the parents what they want to do and, and the ambition of parents and, and that's just it isn't it though you know they've all got instagram profiles now at certain levels academies one-to-one training was really pushed in lockdown um yeah spoke to, sp- spoke to like larry mahoney who's who does a lot of stuff with the fai oh larry larry was at rovers larry larry yeah. actually told me if you don't start getting strong that's what he said to me. He said, imagine yeah. how fast and strong you'd be if you start training in the, with yeah. weights. That was Larry. Unbelievable yeah. Larry was. What was his mantra? Let the players play? Yeah. 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 Is that what he said? Yeah, yeah let yeah, the players play. Yeah. That's his book, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Brilliant book. Really, really good as well. Yeah, so, yeah, very good. I, I, like looking at seven, eight-year-olds, nine, tens then, stuff like that. So very young and just let, yeah, let yeah. the players play. But we had him on the podcast. Fantastic. Yeah, real good insight into it all. Uh, Larry's, Larry's hilarious as well. Yeah. Great guy. He said you were the greatest. He said you were the greatest player he's ever produced, Richie. The greatest. Yeah, yeah. Better believe it. Better said, believe it. And, and he also said, 
He also said you're the best left back to play for all of them since Dennis Irwin. Irish, Irish left back. <laughs> he's, he's a fan of the pod, actually. So we have to give him a shout out now. So that's, that's brilliant that you know him. And uh, uh, but like, what, what would be, you know, you're saying about weights and stuff like that. Like, you know, just that, what age would you introduce that then into to young, like what young footballers? Because I, not to go off tack with that, but I'm, I read Mick Clegg's book. He's a strength and conditioning fella. He was, he was brought in, that's the first time Man United brought in a strength and conditioning coach. Ferguson yeah. wasn't really massively into it, but they trialed it with the under 18s. I think Brian McClare might have been there as a coach at that time. And then they evolved it into the team. And, you know, I think even in the book, uh, you know, Ronaldo credits his sculptured frame as Mick Clegg made me into this, just getting oh, that man. mindset around to him. And what was interesting as well, when he worked with Roy Keane on recoveries, how he did the boxing sessions, he brought different sports into it, multidiscipline sports, of course. Yeah. So what age though, again, back to the original question, I suppose, what, you know, what age would you start bringing kind of weights into a young athlete's kind of sport in life and development? I think you can bring it in at any age. Does kids five and six lifting weights? Yeah. You know, what your you're not your main goal when people are young is not the goal to lift a hundred kilos when you're seven years old, right? right? The main goal is to teach the movements and to be strong in long positions, right? So if you think this is another thing, right? I, I was talking to one of the girls here the other day. She was, she says, oh, I'm going down to this place called Stretch Lab, right? So it's a place where you go and you just stretch it, right? I was thinking to myself, so what? I said, well, you, you just stretch it. Don't do anything else. You don't do a warm-up before. You don't, no, just stretch it. Bing, bang, bang, gone. I thought, okay. And that's fine for the average Joe. But if you were to do that to, say, Linford Christie or Usain Bolt or one of these fast guys, so all of a sudden, you're stretching and you're stretching, their leg is going from there to now it's there. That's a new amount of availability. So new availability of range of motion, right? So they can move further. Now, have they trained in that new range of motion? Are they strong there? So imagine when you're sprinting, right? And your leg, your the, as, your, as your front leg, your lead leg goes through the swing phase, prepares for the stance phase, it it sort of stops at a long range, right? It's nearly fully extended, the knee is, right? So you now have an extra inch where that knee is extended, right? An extra bit of flexibility. And you're not strong in that. And think of the force that these guys put through the hamstrings when they're sprinting. If you haven't trained in that length, you're going to pop that muscle, right? So think back now, back to the kids. So what your aim is, your aim is to get kids lifting through large ranges of motion, weights, and they don't have to be heavy. Mm. So you're trying to train them technical movements so that their brain understands how to co-contract. So if you get anyone that ever, remember Arnold Schwarzenegger in um, Predator, when he grabbed a man's hand and they shook hands and the two of them are, you know, they're grabbing hands like that. And you see his bicep. But when you look at his bicep is on, right? So it's a big thing here. Look at the bottom. That's on as well. When any muscle pulls, so if you, the bicep is easy. So if the bicep pulls, right, that activates. The tricep also has to activate because if it didn't co-contract, that thing there, that elbow joint to come away, it'll come off. So yeah, that's called coordination, right? So your muscles have to actually learn to coordinate and that's what lifting weights does. It teaches your brain to send messages to muscles on both sides of joints to co-coordinate. All right, to coordinate. All right, and you're strengthening in long positions. And also, you want to strengthen tendons, right? Because tendons, obviously, they connect the muscle to the bone. And that tends 
if they go, if they pop, they're the worst injuries to have. All right, so there's a, a load of sort of uh, benefits to strength training. And it's not just I lift heavy weights. There's a whole load of things that go on. There's a lot of neural adaptation that happens that enables you to do better stuff on the ball, to be stronger when you come into contact with someone because you're getting that co-contraction of, you know, core stiffness, glute activation, quad and hamstring activation, stabilizing joints so that when you hit someone, you know, they bounce or when you strike through a ball, your whole body is stiff and you get more power going through the ball. Do you know what I mean? So you're training that more than just for the sake of it, for the sake of lifting heavy weights. Yeah, you know your stuff, Richie. You know your stuff, and I mean, <laughs> I you can see, but you can see, but you can see why Arsenal, you can see why Arsenal have, have picked you up. I mean, would you ever, would you ever do anything with Ireland? Like, have you ever been approached by the FAI or, or because I mean, even you've you have a B license as well, so you're a fairly versatile guy. Has has that ever come on your radar? Well, I've never been asked. And the thing is, I don't think anyone knows that I know a bit of stuff. You know, uh, unfortunately, I don't advertise what I know that uh, that well. Uh, so that's something that I'm trying to improve on. So yeah. I'm trying to improve on the fact that letting people know, look, this is what I do. I've played football at an all right level and I sort of know what it takes to survive the game now. You know, and that's what it is. It's survival. How do you get through the sessions and the games and still be able to play the next game? You know, because it's, it's getting harder and harder to run faster and faster each game, each season. There's more work being required. There's more games. And, you know, it's more important to win. You know, the money is mad. Yeah. So I just need to start promoting myself more uh, and start working more with, with uh, the top guys, you know. Like, in, at Arsenal, like, I'm I'm just in the door now. So who knows what will happen in a while, in a few months, in a few years. You never know, but um, it might not be with Arsenal. I'm setting my own thing up as well. So I have my own bits and bobs that I have going on. Uh, and I will be moving more into that where I'll have my own team because I'm part-time at Arsenal, I'm not full-time in there. So I have my own setup here and there are, there are things in the future where I'm looking to get set up with my own sort of, my own space and basically an academy. It's on the, it's on the way. So I have a five-year plan and I expect to have an academy where I bring guys in, males and females, you know, boys and girls, they come in and they say, right, a little bit the way it is with the Ireland rugby thing. When I go through this, I'm going to come out the end ready for the Premier League. I want to, I should be able to survive Premier League football. Yeah. Well, Richie, I think watch this space, you know, because as I said, yeah. you, you know, your stuff, you're, you're having great success and, you know, we really look forward to seeing what the future holds. So look, thank, thanks so much for coming on the show. And thanks very much. As I said, we learned, we learned a lot today. Every day is a school day, isn't it? But that was, there you um, go. You know, jeez, yeah. I feel like hitting the gym now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. Yeah, you know? as as I go to the fridge and um, you know, take out last night's Chinese. <laughs> so look, Richie, it was an absolute pleasure, and we wish you all the best for the future. Thanks very much, lads. Listen, take care. Nice one. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I'll chat to you again. All right.